Hello, everyone, and welcome to the eighth episode of Stars Oratoria, your premier Star Citizen podcast. My name is Senate Van Ryn, and I am currently broadcasting to you live from the outskirts of a system famous or infamous for its seedier exports. The regular listeners keeping up will know that I've been skirting the fringes of dangerous space for some time now, conducting business affairs hitherto hush-hush, and henceforth, as it will remain confidential for the foreseeable. Regardless, what is known is that we're currently making our way back to more familiar, safe territory. We being myself and my ever-gracious Jean producer, without whom none of this would be possible, truly a stunning specimen, a ravishing creature, really. <laughs> okay, I'll stop. This episode will be a special one, as a very special guest is planned. This guest, of course, needs no introduction, but that's not going to stop me from giving him one anyway. You see, when or if you decide to cozy up with some of the shadier types on the opposite side of the law, for some of us you may not have ever had a choice, on occasion you might find yourself standing, or groveling alternatively, at the feet of the shadiest of them all. We all need help and favors from time to time. Not many still breathing know quite exactly how he came to receive the name he goes by. Some speculate it's a holdover from military service due to the nature of the handle itself, but that's mere guesswork. Normally we don't give out our location, but within the next solar day, we will be arriving on a quote-unquote planet formed from the wrecks of thousands of massive ship hulls. The reason I'm able to be so cavalier in giving out this locational data is that anyone on the right side of the law that might be there wouldn't have me anywhere near the top of their list. This place isn't family-friendly, you would say. And our guest effectively reigns here supreme. Our guest, famous or infamous, throughout most of the galaxy for the power and influence he wields in these dark corners, is known simply as Wingman. Today, you're going to get a glimpse of the man behind the name, the man behind the deeds who has struck fear into the heart of many who don't approve of his work, his results, or most importantly, his methods. What you'll learn as I once did will be surprising, as he is nothing like his sinister reputation would have you expect. This episode will not feature our usual segments, but is, in effect, a special edition. No news, no ship or star system highlights, just you, me, and Wingman. For now, we'll take a quick break, and when we return, we'll open up the comm channels to hear from the man himself. Stick around. back and let's waste no more time open up those comm channels wingman if you're listening feel free to give us perfect let's patch that through oh what a mess wingman video did you say video did he say video 
Yeah, it's a little fuzzy, but we have you on screen. We can see you. Ah, uh, okay. Do you want is this? Do you want it to be video or no video? Ah, uh, it's all clear now. Uh, video's up to you. We don't have a working camera on our end in here, so that's your call. Well, let's kill the video then. If you're not doing video, I'm not doing video. Yeah, it's no big deal. I I get to look at your face every week. Yeah, that's unfortunate. My apologies for that. <laughs> 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 well, I'd say that's a perfect kickoff point. Uh, something I'm sure many have been wondering, including myself, is where do you get all of that energy? Um, well, you know, it's cocaine. It's not I don't know. You know, I've, I've been, I guess I've kind of been born with it. Just I've always had a real positive, upbeat kind of energetic way about me. Sometimes, you know, some people say it's energetic. Some people say it's loud, you know, which probably is both true. Um, but yeah, I just I just enjoy life. I enjoy what I'm doing. I, I'm working with a great group of people. So, you know, how could you not be energized? Well, this time a year ago, you were still doing game development stuff, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, I was but, working. Go on. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I mean, I've been. I sort of sold my company uh, after. Oh, do you want Do you want history or what? Yeah, sure, please. All right. So I, I worked with I worked with Chris at Origin, and then I left Origin with Chris to found Digital Anvil. Um, and we worked there for, I think, I want to say six years, five or six years. We set it up. Um, and then when we sold to Microsoft, I had a choice of moving up to Seattle and continuing to work on the projects or staying in Austin and starting my own thing and finishing a project that I'd been working on at DA called Conquest Frontier Wars. And so me and one other guy decided we'd start our own company, you know, just for the hell of it, just two guys bumbling around, finishing up what we started. It was about 95% done. And right. we basically added everything back in that Microsoft wanted to cut because it's important as game design and you know which made it better and then our whole goal was just to finish that game and then you know go get another job well that company ended up being about 100 people and just grew from that and um you know and then eventually we sold that to warthog in england and i became head of warthog of us and then we sold warthog to gizmondo and so we kind of kept getting bigger fish bigger fish buying us um and then gizmondo obviously imploded and after that happened after gizmondo imploded I mean, I'd had my company and those guys, about 40 of those people have been with me for about six or seven years. So whenever you have to let go of people that are more than just, you know, they're friends. You yeah, know right. I mean? they're, they're, they're really your buddies. You know, they're families. You do barbecues together. You do go-kart races. The, the, the magic in chemistry happens in games when people like each other. And so that's one of the big tenets I have when building the team here at Cloud Imperium is that everybody has to get along. It's, you know, there can only be so many. I mean, Chris is the king, right? right. We all work for him. There's no doubt about that. Um, so everybody has to kind of fall in line into their roles under that and in a good chemistry way. And, and Chris is awesome to work for, so that's not so hard, but there are some personalities that clash with others. And so we have to, we're very careful about that. So anyway, getting back to that, and I decided after, um, after that shut down, I mean, I laid off 170 people in three countries, Sweden, England, oh, wow. and, and the U S I had, I had 300 developers working for me. I, I was head of the publisher out there, ran the entire arm. We made, I think 18 games in six months, shipped them all on time under budget. We're kind of doing captain Kirk's communicator, which was a little bit like, um, we're really doing the iPhone three or four years before the iPhone, which we thought we we're doing, we we're doing some really cool AR stuff. You can look it up on, uh, look up catapult on YouTube. It's fantastic. Um, we're doing some really, really cool stuff. So when I had to go around and lay all these people off, it was really, really depressing as a, sure. as a president or as a producer, designer. And so I decided to take a year off to kind of recharge my batteries and and, uh, and get back in. And then I, I, that ended up being about two years. And I started working on this thing called P-Zocker, which was a we're doing an MMO based on um, – this is before crowdfunding, right? And so a lot of the ideas I had, which was the like web shows and – 
really, really hitting with the community, reach out with a virtual handshake to the community um, is kind of what we're doing now. So, you know, Chris and I have always kept in touch and we've worked on some things that didn't get funded along the way. And, and uh, we've been exchanging ideas and going back and forth. Wouldn't it be cool if we did this? Wouldn't it be cool if we did that? And now we get to do all of that. So it's, it's just, and it's really, it's really gratifying to know that the ideas you had or the ideas that, that you've been batting forth with one of your best friends are viable, even though we were told by big publishers and others, oh, you'll never do that. Nobody will want to do that. That it, it all comes to fruition and it, it's absolutely something people want and and that they like. Well, not and even just viable, excuse me, but did you expect it to just blow up the way it has? No, honest to God, no, we did not. It, 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 we were hoping to prove to the investors that we could show there's still an audience for a, a space sim type product, you know, combat-based space sim, not MMO, well, I want to call it MMO, but, you know, whatever. I mean, it's a game that is, is a persistent universe for in the Wing Commander-style environment, and, you know, we were getting told by publishers, you know, don't want to mention names, it's <laughs> dead or whatever, and it was so stinking gratifying to, to find out that it wasn't dead, that, in fact, people out there that are clamoring for it, and they feel underserved, and this is something we've been selling for three or four years, that this is exactly the market that should be served, that there's PC people out there. Just because you don't see them in Best Buy anymore, PC games, doesn't mean they don't exist. It just means that they, they digitally download stuff now, right. and so the market's just as big or as vibrant as it's ever been. And it's gratifying to know, you know, I guess to know you're right at the, at the end of the day. Right. Well, back on the this time one year ago point, could you have seen or imagined yourself being where you are now back then? I mean, being the face of Wingman's Hangar and the success and reception of Wingman's Hangar itself. No, we didn't expect it would, it would take off to, to the level it's taken off to. And it's still growing every week. And we are having an absolute blast making the show. It's letting us... Um, kind of be creative. I mean, there's only like, there's like three or four of us. We're, we're essentially a show, we're show writers, you know, Sandy, Chris, Ben, Pete, myself, Mike, we write these really cool bits. And, and, um, you know, we, we have the easy thing to anchor the show is the game, right? We know what's going on. We, we want to talk about the universe. We want to keep people engaged, but then we can riff off of that for some really fun, engaging stuff that we're interested in. And, and it turns out that, you know, a lot of other people are interested in it too. So did I expect this? No, <laughs> No, and I'm still blown away. Every time something comes in that the fans have sent us in, I mean, I'm just, it's, it's, um, it's very humbling, to be honest with you. Well, going along with that, but more on the pressure angle, yeah. uh, because obviously you have quite a lot of anticipation built up. I remember when your bio first came up on the homepage, you had that, there was that letter to Bill Gates that you sent uh, about 20 years ago. Sure, sure. And for me, that was really inspiring just because of the things that I work on and to see you go from writing that humble letter to Bill Gates 20 years ago to now being one of these top men at the head of the biggest crowdfunded game ever. And again, one of the most anticipated titles in years, how does that feel pressure wise? Do you ever feel or think, can I deliver this? Can I live up to these expectations? Well, wow. When you say it that way, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you know, it's just, it's just a matter of we keep our head down and we just, we've made similar games. And so we know how to do this. Um, I haven't actually thought about, I know what I want to deliver and I know what Chris wants to deliver and I know we're, we're trudging towards that. Um, and I know we're going to get there. I, I have, I've, I've worked on enough Chris Roberts games to know that, you know, it's going to be a lot of hard work, but at the end of the day, we're going to be able to deliver something exciting and, and, uh, groundbreaking. Now what we can do along the way, which, you know, which has never been done before too, is, so, so we're kind of relieving some of the pressure by releasing some of these, these modules along the way and getting the feedback. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of pressure when you're making a game, hoping you're making the right decisions that 
the audience is going to enjoy it at the end. Um, fortunately for us, we're able to engage the audience as we go and get their feedback. Now, you're not going to please everybody all the time, but um, getting getting our crowd's participation, it's almost like we're treating we're treating people like adults. We know their audience is older. We know the audience knows what they like. And so why not reach out and virtual handshake with them and find out what they like? So that kind of relieves a little bit of the pressure, but not all of it. We still know we have to deliver a, a cracking good game. Oh, yes. Well, back to you. Obviously, most people know you as the zany face of Wingman's Hangar, but what does it mean to be the president of production and development at Cloud Imperium? Mm -hmm. And can you give us a rough walkthrough of what a regular day looks like for you when you aren't in front of the camera on the hangar? Sure. I mean, you know, every day is different. It's, it's, every day is a challenge. Um, we have a lot of meetings. We, you know, I manage the, the programmers, artists, designers, the schedule, um, the budget. Um, you know, we, we basically, I basically take care of all that stuff during the day. Now, now I don't micromanage folks because I, I believe in letting the leads manage their teams, but I keep a good hand on knowing what's going on so that, you know, as we're distributed development, you know, it's very important that we keep track of, you know, what's going on with our, our art outsource, what's going on in Montreal, what's going on in LA and making sure all those things are being tied together. So you, you kind of, it's, it's kind of an odd job. It's a little bit like, um, you're a supply sergeant, you know, and, and anything that you that people need to get their job done, that's my responsibility. I need to be there for them, helping them get their stuff done. I mean, even though you're their boss, you're also you realize that you're standing on on the shoulders of heroes and giants to get this thing done. And so, you know, you, you just manage them by being there for them and making sure that they get everything they need to get their job done. Extra critical support role. No doubt about it. I mean, it's it's not just support, it's also, you know, management. You want to make sure that, that we're getting the right we're going the right direction. We're not going down the wrong pathways. We're not wasting our time doing things that we shouldn't be doing. Um, you know, you, I've been making games for 20 something years. So you can kind of say to folks, look, you know, that's, although we've got a lot of veterans here, so this has not been the case so much here. Um, you kind of impart your knowledge about, you know, that's, that's a, that's a dead end or you won't be able to get what you need out of that. So, um, but that's not, again, that's not so much here because we've got We've got significantly senior people working on the project. Right. Well, more than a few questions are going to come from some community members who are excited to hear from you as well. Sure. And this first one comes from Douglas Mawson, who, expanding on your day-to-days, asks, what are you passionate about in the development process? What do you love doing? I'm a, I love designing the, the stuff. I mean, I like the lore. I like creating the fiction of the universe. I really dig doing missions. Um, I'm a big history nut, so I go back, usually, you know, games like this, um, World War II, specifically some of the Pacific theater, combat-oriented stuff, is, is uh, there's a lot to be mined from that. So um, I go back and read the history books, read the missions, read real-world accounts. Generally speaking, the stuff that went on in real war is, is way cooler than stuff that comes out of your head. And so um, there's a lot of good material to be, you know, to be mined from all theaters of war, specifically you know, uh, World War One and Two, mostly, mostly two. So I'm a big history nut, and I like doing the design. Although I have to admit, when you get to be the president, you don't get to do as much design as as you wish. But then, you know, fortunately, I've got good designers that are working with us. Well, I'm a big history nut myself, and going along with your history comments, do you? Because obviously, you guys are basing a significant element of the lore behind Star Citizen on ancient Rome. Sure. Uh, but do you personally get into a lot of the Rome stuff in your history delving? Oh yeah. How could you not? I mean, look, you know, absolutely. I mean, the, the, every there. I don't want to give too much away, but a lot of a lot of the alternative races or the other races in our project are based upon, you know, the Goths and things that happened. You know, the, yeah, the, the people Rome was were managing right as the, as Rome was falling, the fall of the Roman Empire, right? 
So, um, yeah, it's right when Rome split to west and east and that kind of thing. That's kind of exactly what we're doing uh, with the Terrans and the, uh, you know, and Earth. So, yeah. <laughs> Very cool. I'm really excited for that sci-fi take on it. Well, you're committed to having an extremely ambitious game completed and ready for the population in just under two years. What is the general feel around the office? Is it comfortable and laid back to an extent, or is there an element of we're in crunch mode here? Um, we're all professionals here, and we try to avoid crunch as much as possible by, by planning correctly and going forward. It's pretty comfortable. I wouldn't say it's laid back. We're all putting in some good hours, getting things done. Um, you know, completed is a big word. You know, I would say... I wouldn't necessarily. I would say that a lot of games out there are beta. That's one of the things we're doing now. Because what we don't, what we don't know will happen is as we're releasing the modules. What does that mean? You know, does that mean that it's going to push things around as we get feedback earlier in the process? So hmm. I would, I would say those are more goals at this point. Right. Okay. Than, than you know, than actual sign up dates. Although that is what we're shooting for. That's what we're scheduled for. But I mean, as we go. If we find out the module needs more work and the people want more stuff done in this area or the social aspects, they, they start liking something more than the other. And we need to put we need to kind of we need to be a little agile and malleable in that direction. Then, you know, that will change. That will change as we go. But at the same time, what we're hoping is that people are going to be playing the game as we go. They're going to be involved. So it shouldn't be like everybody's waiting around until the release date because they're going to have most of the game by then anyway. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. A lot of the updates over the last few months have been about new hires and all of the different people you're bringing on board, but is there still significant hiring taking place, or has the primary team been essentially fleshed out? No, we, we are about, um, I want to say halfway through. We've got uh, several open positions right now. In fact, I just finished with, with Jason, uh, our CTO, going over some of the new program positions we'll be posting. Uh, we've got design positions coming up couple more art positions. So we have probably a good, because we have offices in LA and Austin, which are specific to us. And then we're working with an outsourcer in Montreal um, and we'll be hiring their staff. So that's a little different, but internally we still probably got about 20 to 30 people to go. I'd say. Is that just at Austin? Are you saying, or is that? Oh no, it's Austin, Los Angeles. Both. Okay. Okay. So we'll, we'll be splitting some and, you know, we're gonna let people choose. I mean, we're big on, on where do you want to live? Austin or LA? I oh, mean, Austin cool. office is kind of like, you know, it, it's a little more, um, I don't want to say grunge. It's just a little more uh, laid back and what's well, not like homey. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's Spartan. That's the word I'm looking uh, for. Spartan. Let's go with Spartan. Sparta, right? It's a little more Spartan where Chris has a really, really nice looking place he's putting together yeah, um, in yeah, LA okay. on the promenade, which is really, really sharp. Um, so there's going to be, you know, it's, it's fun to work at either place. I mean, I'll be spending time in LA. Chris will be spending time here. So, you know, we go back and forth a lot, but. Uh, it's going to be a totally, it's it's in one company, but there'll be different vibes because the offices will be a little bit different. Speaking of vibes, we talked about the feel around the office metaphorically, but what about physically? How's the office itself shaping up? We have like 27 people in here now in, in a 20-man 20, 20 group area. So Is that, uh, yeah, I was going to say, I remember that first walk through the house and it seemed a little little snug. It's, for... not, it's getting more so, yeah. <laughs> I, I still maintain my office, so I've still got the basement because... Um, uh, I may, I may end up sharing, but not right now. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> well, we use my room for conferences and stuff, so it's kind of, all like, right. but yeah, we're actually looking for new space right now for the record. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, we, we only signed this for a year and we're going to try to move up to the top levels, but if those people stay up there then we're going to probably move to a different location. Oh, so not just an addition. You're just going to entirely move. Yeah. We move the whole company. Yeah. Okay. You know, wow. 
space. Well, we, that's why we signed this for a year. You know, we, we see. for the year option and see what happens. I mean, because essentially you start with the growth pattern of doing this and saying, okay, we're going to put X number of people in Montreal, X in LA, X in Austin. And then as you get going, you know, those things, map, they change. And we've actually put more people in Austin than we thought we were going to do. So, you know, you need bigger space. That's okay. That's why we did. That's why we changed, only did a year at least. Do you think you'll stick more with the house format or do you think you'll go more with an office type of feel? I, I want it to be funky. I don't know what it's going to be, but I can guarantee it's going to be cool and funky. Oh, yeah. I cannot do cubicle farm office standard. I would love it to be a warehouse, honestly. That's what I would like. Or an old church. We got this old church we got our yeah. eye on. And if we can work it out with the homeowners association, we'll, we'll try to be in there. Uh, those are the best. Well, yeah. It would allow us to put things like a, a mocap studio in there, you know, where you yeah. could you know because just a lot of things to, to have and it's got a lot of parking which is always a problem in austin so great for uh, audio stuff too uh, absolutely there, actually it's funny you mentioned that because there's a there's a there's a pastor's house in the back in the parking lot which is about 1500 square feet which is perfect for an audio and studio room yeah yeah with a big foley and all the uh absolutely foley pit you know you should we probably shoot the hanger from there uh put a green screen up you know just that kind of stuff yeah that would be so cool well on the business front in light of an industry that is trending heavily towards things like free-to-play experiences and microtransactions for all of their positives and negatives, how would you reassure those that might be a little concerned? Because I do see it come up sometimes with new people that are hearing about the game yeah. and, wow, what is this about? Oh, hey, this sounds like pay to win. How would you reassure those concerned about it that Star Citizen won't become a quote-unquote pay to win type of game? Well, that's it's kind of an interesting question, but but the, the way you kind of have to look at it is time. You know, everything in Star Citizen can be earned in the game. You can play the game and 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 get buy every single thing you want within that universe. But we're also saying that if if you don't have the time, if you're like a a person, a guy or girl that's got a a um, a, a full time job or a job working 60, 80 hours a week trying to be a partner in a law firm, for instance, and you want to get in and play against some people that have been playing for a long time and have really cool ships, we want to give you a chance to catch up. Now that being said, that being said, we are skill based. Right. So you put yourself together a really, really nice ship with all the stuff loaded up. You're a target, you know. And so at the end of the day, you're not probably not going to be as skilled as those people that have been grinding it out, putting it together. And you know, you'll, you'll those people, you know, may be able to have a little bit of an advantage. I mean, skill is still skill. But it, as far as pay to win, it's not definitely going to be a pay to win thing. There's no like leveling up as as far as characters go. It's all a persistent world. So. Um, I think it's just kind of going to take a little bit of change in thinking from folks as to what it's about. Uh, you know, most of the, most of the people I figure are going to grind through it, but think of world of tanks. That's kind of the model that we're kind of going for. You know, some people pay, some don't. It's just up to how do you, some people have a lot of hours. I mean, arguably you could say the person that, that is, that has an 80 hour week job could be upset at the student that gets to put 80 hours of work into star Simpson because they'll have like an advantage. Right. right. Yeah. So it's always that time balance. In, yeah, exactly. It, it completely is a time cost thing. And so it's not pay to win. It, you're not ever going to be able to buy a super weapon that somebody else can't get. So, you know, but we've got it. But don't forget, we also have to fund the, the, the servers that we have to, the, you know, we don't want to, we're trying to avoid trying charging people subscriptions like Eve and stuff like that. So, you know, we got to have server costs and things like that for people to be able to, you know, so we have to have microtransactions out there. That's what's going to fund the persistent world. Right. Let's not also forget that we're going to be doing micro updates along the way so that we'll be adding new systems. We'll be adding new, you know, we're not going to do like one big content update a year, like some bigger MMOs. Yeah. And then as users start creating mods, perhaps, you know, they're, they're good enough for us to run through the system and sell too. So, you know, if there's a squadron 42, who's to say there's not a squadron 36 next or, a, you know, so oh, right there'll be on. all kinds of stuff going on in the universe that we'll be able to not just items, but, you know, things happening that will, you know, instances or, or, missions mission packs and things that we can 
we can augment with income. So, and that's that's what we're hoping to do. I mean, you know, it, it's it's all going to depend on how that works out. That's what we're modeling. And of course, over time, back to the time and gameplay balance, you'll be able to iterate on that as people play the game through the development process. That's right. Since you're releasing the modules step by step along the way. And again, we'll be tying we'll be tying very heavily in the community, and we're going to listen to what you know. We listen to everything the community says. We don't always act or agree with everything they say, but but you know, for the most part, they've been pretty spot on. So you know, we 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 listen and we react and we act that way, and we and it saves us time. We think it saves us time. It adds a little time as we go. But we think that's going to save us time over the overall uh, portion of the project. Well, just before we get too deep into the game, still on the industry front, not sure if you have a horse in the race, but as prominent industry members yourselves, what are your thoughts on the electronic arts origin SimCity debacle and on digital distribution in the years to come? It must be a bit surreal to see the old origin name getting dragged through the mud as it is. You know, it, it's... Uh... I was at Origin when, you know, I remember when Origin got bought by EA and, and it was great for a while and the culture changed. I think EA just had, they're just a large business. I mean, the industry's changed so much. It used to be a bunch of us were just making games because it was fun to make games. I mean, I remember making my first game for the Tandy in 90, 1984, you know. For oh, wow. The, yeah. I mean, it was like, you know, I think I was teaching college pro, entry to computer programming or whatever. And I was just doing it on the side just for fun. And then Ultimate came out. I was blown away. But, and you know, and then I got to meet Richard and then, then got to help Chris come into the industry. But it, so regarding EA, things have changed. They're much more profit driven. It's like it's like business people have kind of taken that over and they're kind of churning out the yearly kind of thing. Um, and that's fine. It, it works in some cases, but it also kills cultures and it kills creativity. You you have, I mean, EA's bought things like Westwood. You don't see them anymore. You don't see Red Alert. You don't see Con Command and Conquer. Tragically. Incredible franchise is dead. You don't see Wing Commander. You don't see Ultima. You don't see Road Rash. You don't see Populous. You don't see these really, really cool things. There's a whole, there's a whole era of games in the late 90s the early to late nineties that were on PC that trans tr transitioned perfectly for today, but nobody's doing it. There's a lot of gameplay out there. Descent that needs to be, you know, that needs to be reinvented or there's a whole generation of people who've never played them, you know? So there's still a lot to do. And I, I don't necessarily think the big publishers are capable. I, I can recall we were pitching a music game called Johnny, whatever to uh, all the publishers back before, before we got purchased against Mondo. And this game probably is the most innovative game, one of the most innovative games I've ever worked on. It was fantastic. It was just really, it was before Guitar Hero. And it was essentially this guy wandering around with a guitar, and you could play against robots, so you could pick them up with a beam and slam them into walls. It was really, really cool. And music was magic, or more specifically, riffs of music were magic. Speed up, slow down, you know, hack, all that kind of stuff. And I remember going into a meeting, and I don't want to say the publisher, and showing it to him, and the marketing people were blown away. This is the coolest thing ever. And then finally... The president of the company, who's no longer there, turns and says, well, yeah, but it's not really Medal of Honor or Call of Duty, is it? And I'm like, what? <laughs> no, it's not. It's, it's, it's an adventure, Zelda-style musical adventure game. And, you know, and, and immediately you had an, ar an army of people in the room going, you know, they just went from, yeah, 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 to, oh, well, yeah, you're right, you're not, you know. And so they're just, they're just kissing his butt rather than, than actually talking about what was cool and what, what really would have made a difference and um, yeah, it's just a shame, and it sort of kills creativity. And and that's what's happened at EA, Activision, all these other places. They're just kind of, you know, bringing up the old games and putting a new face on it, and creating the same game over and over and over. And now, that being said, the rise of Kickstarter and indie games has reinvigorated the industry. Now people are now going, oh my god, I don't have to sell ten million copies. I can still I can make money selling a, a million units or five hundred thousand. You know, and so it, it's really been a great thing. Um, 
Kickstarter specifically, and you know now we've done our own and Kickstarter for the industry because it, it's reinvigorated the, the creativity of the industry. And I think publishers are a little scared right now. There's a lot of it being taken away from them, and it's about damn bloody time. Absolutely. Well, a lot of us can only imagine what goes on behind closed doors at some of these companies, but it's really, sadly, interesting to hear a first-hand example of a specific instance of that type of corporate cliche with the game you mentioned, and it's real. Oh, no, it's a fan. You can look it up on YouTube. Check out Johnny Whatever. It's, it was really, really cool. We've got some, that's an amazing team. We basically bought a company. It was my old company. We bought a company in town called Outlaw Studios. They had done this, like, I think they turned the controller into a guitar, and then we and then we sat down and said, "Let's make a 3D world out of this. Let's put missions in." And they had a really, really talented team, and so we brought them in, bought them, you know, into Fever Pitch, and we had them there, and we were we had put our guys on it, their guys, and just created probably the most amazing outside of Star Citizen, I think, the most amazing demo. You know, it was like an hour and a half of gameplay, and it was just fantastic. And it, it's one of the only games I've ever seen that my wife liked, my kids liked, and everybody I've shown it to liked. And publishers liked it until. One person would say, "Oh, you know," and then they just don't have they just the money. Well, no, they just don't have the the vision. They just they're afraid to take a chance. You know, they're afraid to go out there now. Now, the one place it did was Sammy. They put it through testing and it scored the highest ever in in customer testing ever. And they were about to sign us. And then we got bought by Gizmondo, which killed that deal. So, um, yeah, but it scored the highest in in uh, customer testing ever. So, you know, whatever that game will never be, never get made, which is sad, but whatever. Well, past defeats lead to present victories, uh, but along those lines, and it might be too early to tell or say, but do you currently have any plans to partner with multiple distribution clients alongside or including Steam, or alternatively, might you go your own way entirely and have your own client? Well, yeah, that's a good question. It's not really one that we've really decided on right now. I mean, we've had a lot of discussions about it. You know, there's clearly some things our fans would like and not like. Yeah, <laughs> so, right. You know, but early I mean, to say. We've been contacted by a lot of folks about, you know, now that we've proven the audience is there, that they want to get in, and we're being very picky about whether we let them in or not. Um, and whether is, I'm sorry, is it actually like one of those situations where vultures are swirling now that they've seen your success? Oh, yeah. It's completely it's, – it's, it, again, it's a lack of creativity. I mean, we, we, pitched, we pitched just Wing Commander around for a while, or we pitched – space kind of games around and you know those are dead we're told those genres are dead it's not it's not nobody wants those anymore and then all of a sudden they're going oh uh well wait a minute uh, we were wrong and we're like yeah we knew you're wrong it just it's just the market was being un un unserved so will we partner with them you know we have no plans to right now right but that doesn't mean that somebody could come in with an outrageous offer and we consider it you know what i mean right but it wouldn't affect the integrity of what you're doing wouldn't affect the integrity or the vision at all that we control that completely well, on that note, let's get into the nitty-gritty of that vision itself. Since we'll be seeing the hangar module first, is there anything new you can tell us about what we can look forward to there? For example, will we be able to sit in the cockpits themselves and maybe fire up the engines to hear how each ship might purr differently, fiddle with working panels and such? Yeah, you know, um, let's, let's, let's make sure we think of the hangar correctly. The, the first, the, the hangar will never be, it won't be complete when it comes out, right? Right. It'll be what it's going to be with your ships. You'll be able to walk around them and think, I don't know if we'll be able to let you get in the cockpit day one, but essentially everything you just talked about is absolutely going to happen. You'll be able to get in your cockpit. You'll be able to walk around the interiors of a ship. You'll be able to fiddle with buttons. You'll be able to hear engines. We've got designs possibly for a firing range. We can fire off and test fire your weapons, you know, oh, wow. things like that. Now, that is not, again, day one. Yeah. Think, of the, think of the hangar as an additive process. 
right? So we'll we'll be adding things as we go, which you know, which will be all final in the game. So right, because the hangar module itself will be the actual hangar we'll be using in the final game. Exactly, that's exactly right. And depending on you know, depending on what level you or anybody else has purchased, that's the kind of hangar they're going to get. And you know, they'll be able to to bling it out, baby. You know, there's going to be all kinds of things to add to it. That's that's kind of our goal. Well, I don't think it was mentioned. I could be wrong, but will there be a multiplayer component to the hangar module? Will there be a connectivity element? Well, yes. Yes. You're, again, not right away, but eventually you're going to be able to, to, to trick out and, and invite people to your hangar, be able to walk around and go see their hangars. I mean, our, our goal on Wingman's Hangar is probably to show Hangar of the Week, to show somebody who's tricked out their hangar and we think it's really cool and why it's cool and, you know, things like that. So, yeah, awesome. there, will be, there will be a multiplayer component eventually in the hangar. I mean, that's going to be... It's kind of, you know, again, it's a testing thing, right? We're going to be using it to test out the hangar, the things people like, and then also be able to say, okay, what do what do you like about, you know, it's kind of the a little bit of the planet side stuff, right? What do you like about the, the interaction multiplayer and hangar? You know, if do you like going in and see other people's hangars? Does, does that make people want to go, oh, I want that ship, or I need, can I look in that? You know, we want to find it. We want all that information, and there's no way to get that without in, inviting people over. I mean, look, we are a community. We're a community making this game. So this... The more we can, you know, can be part of that, the, the more, you know, the game experience is better. The, the Star Citizen world is a community. So the sooner we get that going, the better. Well, I know a lot of people have been curious about player housing, and it's almost like that's the exact mechanic you're kicking off with entirely. Right. Exactly. That's right. I mean, you know, and that's still something we're designing, too, is how we handle guilds or larger groups of people that want to get together. And, you know, how do we manage that? How do we make it fun for everyone to where it's not overpowering, you know, where one guild controls the whole universe, you know, stuff like that. I mean, that's all stuff that we've got to work out and mitigate and the hangar app will be the first step in that direction. Right on. Well, the website is actually coming before the hangar module within the next few months. And this question comes from Colonel Pix Pixley, founder and leader of the Pick and Shield Mining and Security Group. Since the new site is supposed to integrate with the game, Will it be possible to set up guild and squadron affiliations there at some point before the game launches? Yeah, I think um, I'm not sure if if we're going to allow that like right away when the, when the website launches. But I know eventually you're going to we'll have some way of tagging or identifying who's in what. Um, I'm not sure that's day one, and I, I'd have to talk to Zane about where he's going with that. Um, we've got some real. It's more about. The website right now is more about getting it to where it integrates into the game because that's your portal into the game than it is about what you described right there. So um, let us get it up and running and get it working first and get the hangar module integrated, and then we'll start. We'll, we'll continually update the website. Again, think of it as, as the hangar. It's, it's going to be you know, version – I guess you call this version 2.0. And then as we'll go 2.1, 2.2, 2.3, that kind of thing as we go forward. So that, that'll come. I'm just, I'm just not sure when. Right, right. Uh, this next question comes from Mr. Serling. Uh, it's a little long, bear with me. What kind of things can I do with my crew, actual players, during downtime on the ship? Given the massive scale of the persistent universe, I expect and welcome breaks between action while traveling around. Has there been any talk around CIG of implementing mini games or any other fun things to do while not fighting? Or if I'm by myself, what sort of things can I do while walking around my ship? Yeah, I mean, there's a, we're we're actually in the process of designing a lot of that stuff now. So, um, absolutely, you know, we're talking about things like racing or mini games, you know, w with gun targeting and things like that. All kinds of different things to do um, in your ship while while you're with your crewmates. I mean, things with scoreboards, things with 
you know, co- competitions and stuff like that. Um, what it's going to be, you know, again, we are early in that process. So uh, I don't know the answers completely to that, but I kind of described some of the things we've talked about. Yeah. I'm sure many are happy to hear that those elements are in the works. I know it's a difficult time to discuss a lot of these deeper gameplay mechanics as it's so early still, but we're all thankful for whatever little bits we can get. This next question comes from McStabU, and it's a great one. How much, if at all, will upgrade modules slash modifiers affect the look of your ship? Well, they'll affect it a lot. I mean, everything you're going to see... Uh, everything you purchase and buy will be seen in real time on your ship. So you buy new engines, you buy new missiles, you buy you, you're gonna be able to tell. Like I think in Wing Commander, there's only one style, one like texture, one missile type. I mean, there were lots of missile types, but there was only one really physical missile. In ours, you're gonna be able to actually tell if you fly by a ship and you're close enough, you can see, you know, whether it's dumbfire, whether it's IFF, whatever it is, you're gonna be able to tell whether it's level two engines, level three. So it's gonna affect the, the the look of your ship quite quite a bit. Right. So otherwise, sleek ships could get pretty bulky with enough upgrades. Sure. I mean, space, right? There's not like, you know, you don't really have a lot of drag up there. Right. Well, along a similar vein, the majority, if not all of the ships released so far, are fairly multi-purpose with a focus on dogfighting. Uh, will there be ships released eventually that are meant to serve only one purpose outside of dogfighting, like mining or hauling? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's kind of thing, you know, cargo hauling or... You know, things like that. But again, you've got to have protection. Space is a dangerous place. So I think everyone will have multipurpose, but some will be more defined as a, as a you know, like say 80% towards one purpose, but still have 20%, you know, capacity yeah. to fight. You've always got to be able to protect yourself in some way. And, you know, maybe, maybe they're weaker and you have to call in help or, you know, you have to, you have to hire fighters to be around you to protect. Them. Right, which at the base level encourages teamwork. Absolutely, uh, and that's a sort of auxiliary benefit to uh, single-purpose ships. Right, right. So you can have a single-purpose ship or call it single-purpose, but it's still got some fighting capacity. You know, maybe maybe it's like a fighter magic user, but it's just got a teeny bit of magic. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, has it become, on a different note, has it become clear in testing and development at all what the ideal control methods and peripherals will be? Or is it expected to be highly preferential? For example, does Chris Roberts prefer a joystick and throttle while Wingman prefers keyboard and mouse? Yeah, you know, it's gonna, we're going we're gonna to support whatever way you want to play. You know, um, some people are going to be, you know, the Oculus Rift. Some people are going to be keyboard and mouse. Some people are going to be joystick. It's just a HOTUS, whatever. It's going to be, individ- you're going to be able to control the game the way you're comfortable controlling it, um, you know, and, and I'm sure some will, some people some will be a little more. Um, so there might be a, a setup that's even, that's the best, you know, type setup, and I'm not sure what that will be. And so there might be some people out there that are like, you know, aces because of that. But yeah, it's going to be whatever you decide you want to play, how you want to play the game. Great. Uh, well, this next question comes from Dogmeat. Any idea how many in-game hours of work? be it pirating, mining, trading, etc., it will take to earn resources for a ship. I'm starting in Aurora and curious to know if I'll be in my cutlass in days, weeks, or months. Oh, uh, gosh, I don't, you know, that's t- that's a balance issue. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's an economy and balance issue. There's a lot tied into that question. Um, you know, it, that's, that's tough to answer right now. It, it's not going to be, I imagine it's not going to be days. You know, it's going to take you time. If you've got... If you're trying to buy an Aurora or you're trying to buy a Cutlass and, and you know, it's going to take some work, you know, you've got to, you know, you've got to, you know, and that also depends on the risk. Are you going out to the edges of the galaxy where you can make more money, but then also be a bigger, bigger, bigger target, which causes some risk for you. Um, so that's going to depend on the player, you know, whether it's days, weeks or months, 
you know, maybe they fly around completely in UEE controlled space and just making 10 percent here, 10 percent there, 20 percent, just smaller increments. Or maybe they go out, you know, like Firefly style on the edge. Right. And 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 uh, and and take up some big risky things, which which can make a lot of money, but it also can be stolen from you. So, you know, depends on each person and their playing style. Right. Still early to determine. It's way early. Uh, many have questions on the subject of instancing, and I'm sure you guys are still hashing the mechanics out, but I'll throw in a couple of community questions from the bunch. Uh, this comes from bot number 00001 version 3.7. If we keep a large enough force in an instance, can we effectively regulate the amount of enemy or neutral ships that can enter? That's a very tough question to answer right now, and, and that's something we're very, very well aware of. We, in fact, we just talked about that today. That if you know we don't want we don't want people to be able to game the instancing system, right? And by that I mean the guilds can say we control this space and we'll just keep forty people <laughs> in that online at all times in that area. So um, we've got to figure a way that that basically is fun, but also encourages fighting. You know, encourages encourages conflict resolution, those kind of things. So uh, I'm not sure. I I I personally. Don't think we should be able to have a large enough force in an instance to stop anybody else from coming in. But I don't know how Chris feels about that yet. We haven't really worked out that details. I do know that we are considering that very thing right now. We don't really have an answer for it. But, we're, but the, you know, we're, I would rather not do it personally, but I'm not sure where the rest of the gang falls on that. Well, this is on a similar note, and obviously it's still early, but this question comes from F.A. Man, who asks, at this point in development with the technology you're working with, does CIG envision instances to be expandable in the future? If so, might it become possible for CIG itself to facilitate large-scale battles similar to how they can be scheduled in EVE Online? Yeah, you know, we're not sure how big the battles are going to be right now. Um, EVE's a little different in their, in their game type, and they handle it. You know, we, we want the Twitch combat, the very fast, you know, dogfighting, combat air patrol, World War II-style you know, flying, you know, wing commander-style fighting. So I'm not sure that really con is conducive to what you're describing with, with the way Eve does it. But I mean, sure, the people build a challenge and fight each other. Um, but how we handle that and how many, how many people we're going to allow in an instance is going to be balanced, you know, um, for, for mostly for gameplay, for our style of gameplay. I mean, I, I love the fact that there were, I think, 2,500 ships in that one battle in Eve. But I would personally have hated to watch that frame rate just going by. And, and <laughs> yeah. I'm more of a, you know, get in, play, fight, get out kind of person. So that's kind of the style we'll look for. So I doubt we'll ever have anything that big. That being said, yeah, you never say never. Right. Technology changes. Right. And it's hard right. to say. On the subject of boarding, it's been mentioned that it will be very tactical, but have you gotten deeper into the mechanics yet? Uh, from Sam Haley, will it be like a siege where we can install defensive turrets on interior hardpoints, etc.? Yeah, it's going to be it, it's it's more tactical than than first person shooter style. Um, we haven't really gotten deeper into that yet. We're still working on the, you know, that's that's on the schedule to get to. Right. Yeah, I understand. A lot of these questions are addressing stuff that's still very early, but first person stuff is earliest of all, I'd imagine. Uh, let's jump right to the next one. This comes from Jenna Newen, who asks, in light of Sandy Gardner's interview and how she's looking forward to upping the female presence in the game, will there be changes to the gameplay at all if you're a female character, such as different conversation choices in single player, or will the differences be solely cosmetic? Um, you know, that is a great, great question. Uh, th th our goal is to have the NPCs and other characters recognize your character for what you're doing, what you're, what you're not doing. So... Um, 
I imagine they are going to recognize that you're a female, and some of them might have some snide comments. Some of them might, you know, treat you differently. Uh, yeah, you know, we'll have some differences in there for gender, but what that is, I, you know, just going to have to wait and play to see. Especially depending on what kind of seedy locations you might end up in. That's exactly right. I mean, no doubt about it. Uh, this next question comes from Lucky ASN. Any idea on which, if any, Wing Commander alumni might appear in the game? You know, Wing Commander is controlled and owned by EA, so we're really not allowed to to have any of the characters in there. Uh, no, I think he means uh, actors and actresses, voice actors. Oh, oh, like Tom, uh, yeah. Tom Wilson. Tom Wilson and, and Mark Hamill and John Reese davies Right. Malcolm McDowell. Love Malcolm McDowell. Uh, Lynn Allen. Um, <laughs> yeah, one of my personal favorites. You know, I don't know who, who we're going to get, but I know Chris has mentioned that we want to try to bring some of those on. Um, I can tell you that I'll be in the game in some capacity. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a Wink Commander alumni, so it might not be as cool as those other people, but yeah, we're, we're, <laughs> we'll be talking to the, the right people when the time comes. You know, we're writing the story right now, so we got to figure out the story first, then find out which actor might want to come. I mean, my personal favorite is Tom Wilson. I'd love to work with him again. He was awesome. Yeah, I love Tom Wilson. Uh, this next question comes from Commander Draco. Are the devs looking at the community for new ideas, such as can be found in the Game Ideas Forum? Yes, absolutely. We're, we're, we're constantly looking in there and seeing what we like and, you know, um, mining there for details. I mean, absolutely. You know, and eventually we'd like the community to be able to make mods and, and you know, create their own experience. That if it's good enough, we put it in the universe. So, yeah, we, we think the, the community is a great source for new ideas. Now, we're not taking every one of the ideas, but, you know, there are some really good nuggets out there. So, yeah, we're mining it. We're mining it every single day. That's great news. I'm sure a lot of members who post there frequently are very happy to hear that. Uh, well, this next question and last regarding Star Citizen comes from Sev the Nice Guy, who asks, are there any rough ideas you can share regarding how the questing system might work in the game? What can we as players expect to be doing months after release? Well, there's, you know, there's going to be a lot of, you know, a lot of it's going to be based on economy, like so-and-so needs to deal or, or some planets need medicine or, you know, things like that. So those will be generated systematically, but there are going to be larger quests that are going to be global or, or universal, I guess you'd say, where I, I don't really want to give too much of those away because they're really, really cool. Like long, long-term quests that the entire community can be involved in. Big arcs. Huge arcs. Uh, you know, there'll be several of those around the universe and in different spots that, that will get people engaged and then it will generate lots and lots of submissions and, and there'll be conflict over it. And I, I just, uh, you know, some things you want to, we're, we're very open, but you know, we don't want to give a whole game away. <laughs> of course not. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my big issue is I don't know why I decided to start doing this podcast because when I hear about a game and I know it's two years out, yeah. I just want to forget about it entirely. Yeah. Because you don't want to know too much. <laughs> yeah. But now I'm locked in. Awesome. Well, welcome aboard. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> well, I'll ask a few more questions about you, and then uh, we'll wrap it up. All right, cool. I'm sure you're much too busy, but when you manage to get a chance, what games are you playing in your free time? Also, what games from other developers are you looking forward to checking out, if only from a distance, over the next couple of years? Wow, okay. Well, I just started playing Crisis, the newest, the newest Crisis. That's, you know, that's great. You've got to mind that. It's, it's, we're using the CryEngine, so it's really cool. Uh, st- still loving Skyrim. You know, it, I had to rip that away from my, my son because he was... <laughs> He was playing that all the time. Um, you know, I, I still pop every now and then, believe it or not, I'll pop in the Xbox and play like um, Saboteur. It's one of my... One oh, of my, yeah, that's a great of, one. Oh, man, it's a, it's a hidden favorite. Yeah, Nobody knows Saboteur. about it. It's fantastic. you got to get past the first hour of being driven straight through a story. But once you get to Paris, 
it's fantastic. It's the, the open world and, you know, killing Nazis. who doesn't like that. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's fantastic. And so it, it's just, it's just a really, really good game that I'll pop in. And I'm still, I still like bad company too. Really, really big bad company too. But just today I downloaded silent hunter five. I have not played that The submarine game. Is that because, new? Not really. I haven't played it in a while, but I, you know, I had a hankering for, you know, you know hidden warfare. You know, uh, sneak attacks kind of things. I can't really say why, but I just wanted to do a little research, and I thought that might be a good way to, to, to check some stuff out from World War II, and they've always done a fine job, so that's what I'm playing. I'll have to check it out. Uh, not to press the point, but are there any bigger games coming out that you're not even going to get a chance to play necessarily, but that you're looking forward to seeing the reception from maybe the community or the industry? Well, I'm looking forward to see how the the Bethesda MMO does. I mean, that's oh yeah, yeah. That's gonna be that's gonna be really really cool. Um, I, I believe it or not, I still play Call of Duty and all those other games, mostly because my boys play them and and uh, we like to kill zombies together. So that's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, to be honest with you, while you're making games and games of this nature, you just you don't have a lot of time to play them. So you know, um, I'll mostly be playing a lot of Star Citizen. <laughs> a whole lot of Star Citizen. <laughs> Well, we're all obviously jealous of that. Uh, similarly, what games outside of your own have you played over the years that inspire you to continue working in the industry? Yeah, you know, that's that's cool. I mean, that's almost like a, what are some of your favorite games, right? Yeah, essentially. So outside of Wing Commander or Privateer, which are probably two of my all-time favorites, um, some of the games I really, really enjoyed, I think probably maybe my top, let's just go top three or top five. Okay. Um, the original Civilization is still one of my all-time favorite games. Loved, loved, loved that game. I mentioned Saboteur. That's one of those secret hidden gems that mm-hmm. EA, EA just didn't market and freaking nobody bought, and it's just an amazing game. Um, let's see. What are, their, what are the games? Battlefield 1942 is probably my all-time favorite multiplayer game. Um, I just think, and specifically because I love all the units, it's vehicular combat, but I really, really thought the map making in those games was fantastic. Where I thought they dropped the ball was there were a lot of really good mods made for it map wise, but you had to know which directory to drop the mod, the maps into where something like another one of my favorite games, half-life and half-life two did a good job doing is if you didn't have that map and it was user created, it would just, you know, there'd be a little bar underneath that would download it. You could go to the bathroom, get a, get a soda, beer, whatever. And, and it would, it would download the map for you. And you get things like that rats map where you're running around the kitchen, just absolutely fantastic. So half-life's another one. Um, you know, lately, I, I really, really enjoy the stuff DICE does. I really, really like Bad Company games. They're, they're, if you sit, you can sit at a stop point in Bad Company and just listen to the dialogue, and it's stinking hilarious. Most people just pile through it, but they have some really, really funny stuff in there that's just hidden. And so you can just sit there at a stopping point and listen to the guys talk, and it's, the chatter is fantastically funny. Um, you know, I, I I liked the original Ultimas, especially uh, Ultima 4 was one of my favorites. Um, so, you know... There's a lot of games that have inspired me along the, along the way, and, there, and there's there's all kinds of good good stuff that's being made these days. That um, you know, even on the iPad, you know, there's some, there's some fun stuff that that comes out that makes you go, wow, that's really cool, or it brings back your roots. Like remember Dragon's Lair, the old the old um, laser disc driven game on the on the the uh, arcade. That was fun. Probably though, my top most favorite game of all time. And this is just, it's not even a PC, it's not a console game. Uh-oh. It's, it's Cyberball 20, 20, 2072 Tournament Cyberball. Oh, wow. Freaking loved that game. I have it in storage somewhere. I have six stand-ups somewhere in storage. 
I think a guy stole from me. I can't find him, <laughs> but it was fantastic. Four player robot football. Loved it. That loved sounds it. way before my time. What year did that come out? Oh, that would probably be 91, 92, somewhere in there. Tournament Cyberball 2072. Fantastic. I'll have to check eBay for that one. Oh, well, it's good to hear for those of us anticipating Star Citizen. Uh, it's good to hear what has inspired you, like the example you mentioned with Bad Company and sitting there listening to the background chatter and the ambience. Uh, I would imagine that that kind of thing mm-hmm. would find its place in your projects as well. Well, I mean, you, I think you've got – look, you've got – I think humor is important. I think I think anything you can do to – like Chris is really big on the immersion. Right. Right, and and so are we, and so and so we're pushing to, to meet his – his vision there. And those are the kind of things that just add to the depth and the lore of, of space and things that are going on around you. And and not only that, but we, we want to be able to tie in like things that are happening in the universe from the, from the fan side. There, like, there might be a war breakout between two guilds and we want to be able to, to, to quickly move and have our game masters add in lore and add in some speech and add in things either through broadcasts or whatever in the universe that tie into that. And so anything that enriches an immersion of the games to us is, is crucial. You know, it's got a field. It's got, there was a, there was an old guy we worked for called Trip Hawkins. He did He had this thing called simple, hot and deep. That's what you want your games to be simple to play, hot looking and deep <laughs> story. No, I mean, you know, not, you know, not like, not, yeah, you right. know, very look very beautiful and then be, and then be uh, deep in gameplay. And that's exactly, those are still the three tenements, which we follow. It bodes well for star citizen. Indeed. Uh, fans of CIG have become well known for sending in, Various and sundry foods, treats, and drinks. Yeah. If you could request one consumable in particular, uh, yeah. outside of the intoxicating variety, as I'm sure those are coming in regularly anyway, what would it be? Well, I, I really don't like eliminating the intoxicating ones. <laughs> I, I knew that. I knew you wouldn't. The boost is the best, but jeez, um, you know, the fans have already done so much for us. It's it's hard to, to ask for anything because we've gotten things like cake and. Torchy's Tacos and Five Guys Burgers and uh, Oh, well, it's more, you know that more is coming. So if you could narrow it down for them, what would you narrow it down to? I, I don't know. You know what? I like the fact that fans are being creative. I mean, I got a shirt and a hat for the San Diego Police Department. And then I rocked that on the wingman's hanger. Yeah, because yeah. That, because that's really cool. So I would rather not lay anything out there. and Because I think the fans are just as creative as we are. And let them create the experience for us. Because that's, I guarantee you, that stuff, German, German chocolates have come in. We look forward to that. And it is, uh, you know, we walk around going, I can't believe this is happening. And it does increase the pressure on us. We know we have to deliver one hell of a Because <laughs> we, we don't want the fans with, with pitchforks and knives in two years. Yeah. I sent you front, German chocolates. Yeah. Oh, man, they were amazing. Well, it's not chocolates. But if you had to choose one, what ship will you be flying in Star Citizen? Of the ships we know of. I'm not choosing one, man. <laughs> <laughs> Just give me a name. I'm, I'm going to have access to all of them. No, you know, I'd probably, you know what? I'd probably take the freelancer because everybody maligned it when they first saw the first, the first concepts of it, thinking it would <laughs> look like a giant whatever. I, I like it though. I think it's really cool. And I knew that that wasn't the final product. So I'd probably go with a freelancer. And of course I'll be flying the P-52 and the Hornet and, you know, I'll be dogfighting out there. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll be flying every one of the ships to be honest with you. Cause my goal is to have them all. And then to just, however I want to play that day is what I'm going to be playing. Right. Yep. Well, Wingman, it's been an honor and a pleasure. Any parting words sure. for fans of Star Citizen, Wingman, and Star's Oratoria? Sure. In light of the fact that nobody's able to sneak a question off on you on the end, oh. let me ask you this question. Sure. Yes, please. If you were going to be the Star Citizen, oh, no. can we can we clean that up? Are we, are we losing him? We lost him.
every time. What are the odds? Well, thanks again, Wingman, for taking the inordinate and unexpected amount of time to chat with us and answer questions about yourself and, of course, Star Citizen. I imagine for you listeners, the man behind the curtain doesn't seem quite so menacing after all. Of course, what you won't see is just what he'll have me smuggling halfway across the galaxy for the next two weeks, but such is the price of freedom. You can't take the skies from me? In our next episode, we'll be back to our usual format with plenty of exciting news to catch up on and dissect, our usual ship and star system segments, and another guest from the community will stop by to discuss Star Citizen and what's important to them. If you'd like to share your thoughts and ideas or perhaps be a guest yourself on a future episode, feel free to send us an email at starsoratoria at gmail.com. Until next time, athli kur, or safe travels, as they say in Jean. My name is Senate Van Rijn, and this has been another episode of Stars Oratoria. See you next time. <laughs>